Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by General Assembly's NYC Campus. GA empowers individuals to pursue the work they love by offering courses in coding, design, digital marketing, data analytics, and so much more. Head to ga.co slash classes and get 30% off your first class with code BOSSEDUP. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Bossed Up, the podcast. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. Today, I want to tackle a topic that feels really near and dear to my heart, for one. I grew up with a very hyper-analytical father. My dad was uh, an attorney for a long time. He no longer is, actually. He navigated a very big career transition after I started Bossed Up, which was awesome to see. But for a long time, you know, he was the resident art critic and food critic of the household. And, you know, that ability to be critical, to be analytical, those are skills that are really drilled into a lot of us in our formal education. I remember leaving the ivory tower education that I got at Brown University, ready to find the hole in any plan or you know, be critical in how I was thinking. Critical thinking skills, after all, are on the rubric now in elementary school. But when I was making the leap into starting Bossed Up, there were a lot of holes that I could have been fixated on in terms of my plans for this company that I really had no business or reason or necessarily credentials to go about starting. And that inner voice, that voice that really focuses on being critical can be paralyzing for so many of us, especially when we're trying to listen to our passion, to our purpose, to those voices inside of our mind as well that may have been muted over the years. And that can be especially true if you go years and years and years of only listening to that critical voice in the back of your head or not really stretching outside of your comfort zone because you just haven't had to. So for anyone who's ever been paralyzed with fear or been spiraling into one of those not-so-productive panics, worried about feeling qualified, worried about not having the confidence to move forward and do what you want to do, today's episode is for you. And in fact, it almost feels like today's episode was predestined in some ways, not to get too woo-woo on you, but I was actually rolling through San Francisco years ago for the the SOCAP conference that my dear friend uh, had actually given me tickets to so I could go hustle and do my startup thing. This is when I was still considering pursuing financial backing and capital investors. SOCAP is the Social Capital Markets Conference in San Francisco. It was my first time in the city. It was one of the first times I'd ever been to California. 
it was a really exciting time. And of course, I was a scrappy, very broke entrepreneur who was maybe a year or two into starting Bossed Up at the time. Naturally, I was sharing an Uber or sharing a Lyft. I can't remember which one it was. And this is in the early days. This is literally the first Uber pool I'd ever taken because it had just come out and I wanted to give it a shot. It wasn't even national yet. And as I'm sitting in Uber pool, I'm giving my little spiel to the kind woman who sat next to me and was lovely enough to ask about my business when I mentioned that's what brought me to town. And when hearing what I was talking about, she said, oh my goodness, have you heard of this book called Playing Big? It changed my life. You need a copy of it. And maybe it was obvious that I was pinching pennies at the time because she took my card home. And before I knew it, I didn't even have a chance to really get her contact info. She had Amazoned me a copy of Tara Moore's book, Playing Big, which is what we're going to talk about today with Tara Moore herself. So to that very kind stranger who believed in me and, and helped me connect with this message right when I needed it, thank you. And I hope that we can now pay it forward to all the listeners out there who are feeling like they could use a dose of courage in their earbuds today. So let's get things started with today's listener submitted career conundrum right after this quick break. Do you ever find like listening to the news really bums you out? Listen, I am all for being a well-informed boss lady, but sometimes you just want to hear some good news for a change, which seems like it's hard to come by these days. Luckily, the Newsworthy podcast is here to help by covering all the day's news in less than 10 minutes with an actually upbeat personality brought by host Erica Mandy. Check out and subscribe to the Newsworthy wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Emily. First of all, I just want to say I love the new podcast. It's really great. So keep up the good work. I'm calling you from Denver. So I have a question specifically about transitioning jobs. I'm currently in a position where I've been pretty unhappy and due to just a lot of poor leadership and other organizational problems, I've decided to leave and I have um, high hopes of getting a new position that will likely be a big step up in my career. I mean, I will say that there have been a lot of perks to this job, so um, including flexibility and just lots of my own personal creativity. My question for you is my next job that I'm hoping to get will likely be very intense um, in a really good way and just kind of push me to new levels of critical thinking and strategizing that I haven't necessarily been challenged in my current position. I hope my question isn't too vague, but I'm pretty nervous that my organizational skills are a little bit rusty. I feel like I haven't been challenged very much in my current position, and I'm a bit nervous about just my capacity to kind of turn on my drive again after being squashed for so long. I'm just feeling a bit nervous about this new transition. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts. Well, to my fellow Denverite, thank you so much for calling in and for your kind words about the Bossed Up podcast. I love this question, and I'm so glad you called in. You called into the right place. Let me just put it that way. This is exactly the kind of podcast courage we want to deliver via your earbuds and to everybody else who's listening who has ever felt a little intimidated by themselves, a little intimidated by the new challenge that they just got themselves into, a little intimidated at the concept of making a big leap. Today, to help me break this down, as I mentioned already, is the fabulous author Tara 
more. She's a coach, a writer, and a teacher who pursued a whole bunch of higher education prior to starting her own business. She got her MBA from Stanford University, where she served as the co-president of Women in Management there, and received her undergraduate degree in English literature from a little school from my home state known as Yale University. You might have heard of it studying primarily Shakespeare, and she brings a really unique approach to the personal growth sphere of the internet by incorporating a lot of wisdom from poetry and literature. Tara started a global leadership program known as Playing Big. After noticing a clear pattern with the women she was coaching, Tara's tuning in from San Francisco, where she calls home, and I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Tara, it feels like our lovely listeners question here is a common one. Is this something that you heard a lot of in the women you worked with as a coach prior to writing this book? Absolutely. And I think you started to answer the question beautifully. And I don't know if you even realized how much you were answering it. Because if you notice, our caller didn't actually say I'm hearing my inner critic. I'm grappling with self-doubt. And when we are grappling with the inner critic, that's how it is for most of us. We don't know that. So like that caller, we think we're hearing our good realistic thinking, our helpful skepticism maybe, right? And and just noticing the, the thoughts around that, like maybe I don't have what it takes. Maybe So the first step for her is doing what you kind of helped her already do, which is naming, oh, that's actually my inner critic. I'm hearing my inner critic now. And I can hear people asking, well, how do you know she's hearing her inner critic? Maybe it's true. Maybe it's true that she's not ready. Maybe it's true, right? That she doesn't have all the skills she needs. Well, one clue we have is that she has absolutely no evidence from the world that she's lacking any skills. She's not saying I'm on day three of the job and I here's all the negative feedback I've gotten or you know, here are the problems that my previous boss has pointed out that I can see are really going to loom large in this new role. So one, she has no evidence. Two, um, the kind of feeling underneath them is a lot of anxiety and fear. And then three, this is a really common distinction between our inner critic and realistic thinking. The thoughts that she's having, they're not helping her get to any solutions for herself. So if she was saying, gosh, I feel a little like, you know, maybe I could use some or some skills polishing in this area. So I'm going to do this really nice thing for myself and like do a side project while I'm transitioning just to get my feet wet. If she was immediately sort of being on her own side and thinking of a solution, we might say, yeah, that's good realistic thinking. But just the looping thoughts of self-doubt and self-criticism, that's another telltale sign that we're hearing from her inner critic. And that is such a common thing I hear from, right? I I love the clear distinction you're making, and I want to dive into that more in a second. But I myself remember when I was sitting down actually to finish writing my book, which is I'm, I'm in the midst of this project right now, I'd actually left the manuscript alone for almost a year. And I voiced out loud to my partner, I said, what if I forgot how to write? <laughs> and I really felt like this irrational anxiety riddled, spinning out sense of maybe I can't do this at all. Even though there was no evidence to support that, it wasn't a helpful, fruitful, productive line of thinking. But for me, part of what helped get it off my chest and get it out of the way was actually voicing it, providing 
some airtime for that to actually come out of my mouth in front of someone I loved and trusted so we could hear together how ridiculous it sounded. So tell me more about naming your fears. What role does it play and how does one do that when you're just mulling over that anxious loop in your own head, thinking about a big new challenge you're not sure you can rise to? Well, first and foremost, we know from research that anytime you name a feeling you're having, whether you give words to it out loud, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling anxious, or whether you write it down, like journaling, anytime you give language to your feelings, you reduce the intensity of the feeling. And you can sort of think of that as, as if your emotions, they're coming from one part of your brain, but language comes from that more cerebral kind of self-regulating part. So when you make your emotions meet language, it, it starts to modulate things. So that's number one. But number two, with the inner critic and the way that I approach it in the playing big book and model um, is the idea that that voice of self-doubt is one voice inside of us. And for a lot of us, this is kind of a new concept to even try on that there's multiple voices inside of me, right? We, we kind of get them all confused and braided together. So one of the benefits of saying, I'm hearing my inner critic right now is that you're reminding yourself that that's just this one strain in me. That's not me. And I even suggest to women, like, don't say I'm feeling so insecure. Just say like, my inner critic is really flaring up to isolate it. And then you can ask yourself, well, what are the other voices here? And so for the caller, you know, what's the voice of excitement about this job? What's the voice of passion for this new opportunity? Kind of getting to those other more um, sane and more core parts of us. Yeah, not to mention productive. I love that distinction between the inner critic which is sort of this frenetic energy in your own head that's not really interested in finding solutions, frankly, versus the very common, normal, grown-up critical thinking, right? We've all been become such analytical thinkers, especially through academia. How do we help our listener here and others who might be dealing with this bounce back from folks who might actually say, well, maybe your fears are rational. Maybe this is just you being a critical thinker and you should be worried and you have right to be concerned. Right. And you're pointing out, you know, for those of us who work in jobs where critical thinking is a key skill we use, or maybe we went through years of academic training where that was the primary mode, we have strengthened that muscle in us to find the holes in things, to find the problems, to be skeptical. And likely at the same time in those environments, this whole other way of being that's more creative and generative and playful and curious and supportive of ourselves and optimistic, that has really languished. So you can kind of think of it as in a way our critical thinking muscle and the inner critic are like, they're, they're related. And so when we have really strong critical thinking skills, Sometimes we've inadvertently strengthened our inner critic. So we need to be aware of that. We need to kind of be in a recovery process and realize I might bring all the critical thinking in the world to my job or to my dissertation, but that is not the way to relate to myself or my own dreams. And that's a huge shift. And, you know, I came out of like very traditional educational environments, then an MBA education. And for me, those just things, they ate my creativity alive and they paralyzed me from being able to be confident or spontaneous with my voice because I was in that, you know, critical thinking mode. And so I had to learn a whole different way 
of being. And in the book, you write about taking leaps on that journey and, and the importance of making these big leaps to go from playing small to what you call playing big. Can you tell us about some of the leaps that you've made in your life to really dive into this work and perhaps just give us a primer on, on the difference between playing small and playing big. Right. Well, so when I started this work, um, a few different things were, were going on in my life. One, I was working in an organization. I come out of grad school. I had been in the working world for a couple of years. I was working in a large foundation. And what I saw all around me were these incredibly brilliant, hardworking, conscientious, caring women who were doing great work and making great decisions. And none of them were at the top of the organization. And at the top of the organization were primarily all men who were not working as hard, who were either cutting corners or sometimes even, you know, not being as ethical as they could and who were not making great decisions. And that gap was so painful to see especially having been raised in, you know, we're post-feminist, you can do anything and then seeing, right? So that's not what was happening. And then I saw my friends in all different industries were facing the same things in their organizations. Um, and, and at the same time, I was getting interested in coaching and I, on the side of my job had started like a very small coaching practice, was getting trained as a coach and was coaching a few women kind of as my student intern clients. And I very quickly saw this, extremely pronounced pattern, which was all those brilliant women, just like my colleagues, you know, were coming for coaching. They were, they had great ideas. They were highly capable. And I was hearing them say, but I'm not ready to take that step yet, but I need another degree to do that. Who, why would they create that role or that job for me? Why would I get that project? Um, I could, there's no way I could ask for that salary. That's breaking the rules. Like all of these narratives that the, the incongruity between their potential and the way they were thinking of themselves was glaring. So playing small is my shorthand for, you know, all that stuff that we do around that. All of the, I'm not going for it. I'm not sharing my voice. I'm not serving the people I want to serve or having the impact I want to have because of how I'm thinking of myself or because of my fears. And so then in my coaching practice, I got really interested in what actually helps women make change around that. And a lot of it is doing inner critic work, learning about what the inner critic is and how we can not get rid of it. I actually don't think we ever get rid of it, but we can learn to manage it much better. Um, unhooking from praise and criticism. It's a lot of different kinds of inner work. And women are not to blame for that playing small at all. You know, we, it, it has a direct relationship to how we come to think of ourselves in a patriarchal culture. So I think this is really some of the inner work that we can do at this historical moment to unlearn some of the conditioning we've gotten as, as girls and then that we carry as women. I love it. And that's such an important point to drive home, which I know you always do, just because we're advocating for inner work or like me at Bossed Up, really advocating for personal agency and advocacy by no means means that we're not advocating for systemic change and to fight oppression and injustice as it exists in the world. So that's such an, an important thing to underscore. I want to make sure that's coming across clearly. One of the things I think this playing big concept is often confused with is this idea of confidence. Women just need more confidence, right? Here's how to 
crack the code on confidence or whatever it might be, you know, there's this chest thumping kind of bravado that women are told we just need to be more like the average white dude and wake up with that sense of entitlement or or confidence. And it's really different, isn't it, than having a sense of unhooking from blame and criticism, having a sense of of being in charge of your own decision-making and being capable and knowing that you can coexist peacefully with your inner critic. Can you talk to that? Speak to what's problematic about telling women to just be more confident. Right. Well, I mean, we, I would ask your listeners, so how many of you have gotten the advice, be confident, believe in yourself. And then how helpful was that to you? Like, was that at all something you could implement in any of the moments where you most needed it? Of course not. And if it was that simple, we would have done it. The research also tells us that the amount of experience we have does not change women's confidence levels much. So junior women, um, about 45% of them in the corporate world rate themselves as confident. Executive women, 55%. So all those years later, among those who've risen through the ranks, the numbers do not look that different. So thinking that, oh, I'm just waiting, you know, I'm going to get that confidence because of external things. That is not something that happens. Um, so it's not actionable. It doesn't happen naturally with time and experience. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is, you know, for all of us, when we are doing work that brings a sense of emotional risk, meaning the risk of failure, the risk of criticism, the risk of maybe even being labeled too ambitious or successful as a woman and the social costs that come with that, anything that brings emotional risk. Um, the safety instinct part of us does not want us to do that work. So your safety instinct, you know, your passion, your drive might want you to start a business or pitch an idea in your company, but your safety instinct doesn't. Your safety instinct has just got one goal, which is staying in the emotional comfort zone. So when you're contemplating doing anything in your life or career that has that emotional risk, the risk of failure, the risk of exposure, your safety instinct will do everything it can to try and get you to stay in your comfort zone. And the number one strategy it will use is your inner critic. So that's what the inner critic is. It's not there because you don't have enough experience. It's not there because you're doing a new job. It's not there because of your critical teacher or whatever. It's there because you are hardwired to have a safety instinct. And the safety instinct is saying anything it thinks will intimidate you back into your comfort zone. So that means what the inner critic says has absolutely no relationship to the truth. It also means it's never going away if you're doing work that's important to you in any real sense. And it means that if you try and argue with one thing your inner critic says, like maybe your inner critic saying you're too young for that, and then you kind of get over that, your inner critic will just come up with the next line. It's like a popcorn machine that way. So what we want to do is know what the inner critic is okay, that's my safety instinct. Here's what it's scared of in this situation. Therefore, the inner critic speaking up loudly and I can hear it. I can name it for what it is. And then there's some tools that you can use in the moment. Um, but simply naming it and distancing yourself from it and kind of observing the voice goes a long way to taking away its power. One of the things that our listener alludes to in her voicemail is that she was in a job for a little while that didn't necessarily call upon her courage very often. I think a lot of us can relate. We did an episode recently 
about being bored at work and how to handle that and being underutilized, understimulated, disengaged from our work. And, you know, it's one of those, there's problems on either side of it, right? Being disengaged in our workplaces might mean that we don't have to deal with our inner critic very often because there is no emotional risk on the line. So for her to step into this new role, this growth edge of hers, to see the value on what's on the other side of coexisting peacefully with her inner critic, I think is a really important thing to recognize that you're about to learn a lot more, a lot faster than you may have in recent years. How do you suggest she go about learning to coexist peacefully in that way? How do you keep that voice along for the ride without letting it take the wheel? Yeah. So it's really a moment to moment practice of, oh, I'm hearing my inner critic right now, or that sounds, it feels really true in my head, but here's some clues that help me know it's my inner critic, right? It's repetitive. It's looping. It's completely unhelpful. It's speaking in a harsh way. You know, it's not based in evidence, whatever those might be. So simply naming and noticing, you can also create a character that personifies your inner critic, which can be really fun. And then when you hear your inner critic, like, oh, you know, that's, that's the stern old professor or that's whatever you visualize that of. And that just brings some humor and kind of uh, really brings to life that sense of this is not me. I also like to encourage people to think about what is a positive value of yours that you are acting from in the moment instead of listening to your inner critic. So let's say, you know, you're contemplating, um, making kind of a risky ask in the negotiation for this position and your inner critic is speaking up a lot. So you can ask yourself, okay, I hear the inner critic's point of view, but what's the value of mine that I would be living or honoring if I did make the ask? And for each person in each situation, that's going to be different. But sometimes just naming that like, oh, this is for me, this is about self-respect. Or for me, this is about experimentation or whatever is being honored for you in that moment. Um, and then you know, okay, that's your touchstone and you're going in with something you can hang on to. That value gives you a sense of this is what I'm honoring as I'm not listening to the inner critic's voice. It almost reminds you on what's in it for me. If I can mitigate this fear and sort of understand what that fear response is trying to do, but also remind me, this is the pot of gold at the end of that, you know, rainbow or whatever it is, understanding what's in it for you in a positive way, what you could gain, not just fixating on what you could lose, right? Absolutely. And then it's not just the pot of gold, but it's kind of the rainbow itself. It's like even whether the whether they say yes or no, this is why for me making that this choice is important. I also was really reminded um, in the listeners question about this idea of Yura that we talk about in Playing Big. Um, and Yura is this really amazing ancient Hebrew word in some of the Old Testament stories. And the word Yura describes this emotion and has three definitions. It's the feeling we feel when we inhabit a larger space than we're used to. So that could be like a larger role, a larger impact, a larger set of responsibilities. It's what we feel when we do something that gives us more energy than we're used to having. So something we're a little more passionate about. And then it's what we feel in the presence of the sacred. So whatever you feel in your life connects you to sacred. It's a type of fear. That's what's interesting about the word. That is a type of fear. And, it, and it's the fear that arises in those situations. 
So that was, you know, very much in line with what she's describing. And we want to learn to live with those experiences that bring that and not retreat from them. The funny part of the question was, did you notice there actually was no question in her question? (laughs) And the reason is because there's actually nothing more. It's totally great for her to go do this job feeling this way. Like there is nothing to do except use some of these tools and be with the feelings and let them be there. But it doesn't mean anything's wrong and it doesn't mean she needs to do anything differently. It probably means a lot is right about this job for her. Exactly. And I love that you brought that feeling up because it reminds me of the question that I asked myself at the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey, which by the way, has come up time and time and time again, which is, can I really be this fierce? Can I be this fiercest iteration of who I think I am? And sometimes there are people in my community of courage who remind me that the answer is yes, even when I'm not currently feeling that way. But you know, just giving yourself the opportunity to keep chasing that, to keep learning from that, to keep persevering, even in the face of overwhelming gratitude, gratefulness. I mean, it's an overwhelming feeling to be privileged enough to pursue a career that makes you feel that way. And I would say go for it, right? Just like you mentioned, she's got no questions. She just wants our double thumbs up and we're giving it to you. Tara, thank you so much for spending some of your precious time with us today. Where can our listeners learn more about your work and your writings and your courses and this methodology? Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a fun conversation. So the Playing Big Book is a great place to start and people can buy that wherever they like to buy books. And then definitely um, come find me at taramore.com and, you know, on social and all that too. Um, And there's lots of great free resources for people at all those places. And now it's time for this week's Boss Moves Moment of the Week. Hi, Emily. This is Marianne from Denver. And my Boss Moves of the Week was to see an opportunity when my company was in transition to assure that my coworker had her contract honored, uh, which is something that we weren't sure was going to happen. And also to use the opportunity to negotiate and make sure that my employers knew how valuable I was to the team, that I could be doing so much more for them and get a raise. Congratulations, boss. I am so proud to hear this and so glad you've taken a moment to share that with our community because you never know who you're inspiring when you share your come up story. Speaking of, make sure to call into the podcast hotline if you've got a boss move that you want to share because our community is waiting to cheer you on. Or if you've got another career conundrum you want us to tackle next, you can always give me a ring and leave your voicemail now at 910-668-2677. And as a final reminder, this is your last week to get in on this month's sweet podcast giveaway. We're gifting one lucky listener a pair of Bose noise-canceling headphones to bring your podcast game up a notch. All the details on how to enter by leaving a review of Bossed Up the Podcast on Apple Podcasts can be found at bossedup.org slash giveaway. And guess what? There's not that much competition right now, y'all. We have not had that many people enter. And this is a pretty sweet giveaway if I do say so myself. So make sure you get your butt over to bossedup.org slash giveaway right now. Leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because in doing so, 
My real giveaway thank you to you is because you're helping other people explore and get some bossed up podcast goodness in their earbuds too. But this giveaway offer does expire at the end of June, so don't delay. Head to bossedup.org slash giveaway right now. As always, thanks for tuning in. I want to hear from you in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook or in the comment section of today's episode post where you can also find links to all the things we discussed on today's podcast at bossedup.org slash episode 30.
let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.